name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Chippy, the parakeet, was sitting in his cage, pretty content. And all of a sudden, he was uh, sucked up, washed up, blown over. The problems began for Chippy when uh, his owner sought to clean out his cage and put the vacuum cleaner up there, and the phone rang. And about that time, she moved, and you know, there went Chippy down the, down the tube. Uh, put the phone down, rushed over there, and there was Chippy. He was still alive. He was stunned. So she grabbed him, immediately took him to the bathroom and ran water over him to clean him up. Then she saw he was, you know, shivering and like in a stupor, and she took out the hairdryer to to blow him off, right, and to dry him up. And uh, and Max Lucado says, uh, poor Chippy after that never sang again. And he said, because it's hard not to see why, sucked in, washed up, and blown over, that's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. I wonder sometimes if you don't feel like that parakeet, right, where you've been sucked up and, you know, washed over and, um, and blown over. You know, I, I, I feel that way sometimes. I, I have in my notes that it's dangerous to make confessions, but I, I want to make one this morning. Sometimes over the years, I have felt like giving up as a pastor, I have felt like uh, giving up uh, on my marriage. I have felt like, at times, even like giving up on my life. You know, and I guess I can share that because, um, you know, I, I get to listen to a lot of you. And I know that I'm not alone in feeling that way sometimes, you know. I, uh, in fact, I, I would, might even suggest that most of us feel that way from time to time. And, and maybe if I could be so bold to adventure out and say, maybe all of us from time to time feel, feel like that. That's the kind of week, that's the kind of week that the disciples have had uh, as we roll into to chapter 14, finish up chapter 13 this morning. You remember their week began on a high. Uh, you know, uh, I don't remember who spoke on this. I wasn't here for that week, but but Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, and and he is celebrated by everyone. You remember that? He comes riding in. They're singing Hosanna, Hosanna. They got palm branches they're putting down before him, and everybody wants him to, to be king, and they're shouting Hosanna to, to the king. And the chief priests and the Pharisees were so distraught over that. If you remember, this is what they say. They say, the whole world has gone after him. What can we do? In other words, they're all following Jesus. You know, this. it's, you know, it's, it's almost backwards what we hear today. We hear people say Jesus came to offer the kingdom to the Jews, but they rejected it. It's exactly the other way around. The Jews wanted to make him king, but he would not accept being their king. Not the kind of king that they wanted anyway. He wanted to be their king, but his kingdom, he said, was not of this earth. He did not come to establish an earthly uh, kingdom at that point. But make no, make no, make no mistake Jesus is coming back to rule the world, right? And his kingdom will be all the world. And he'll be king over all, everything. So make no mistake about that, all right? But, but anyway, uh, I digress a little bit. But by the end of the week, the, this fickle crowd has turned against him. And instead of saying, Hosanna, here's our king, Hosanna, here's our king, they're, they're going to be shouting in just a short amount of time, crucify him, crucify him, you know, be done away with him. So... 
the disciples really have had a really roller coaster kind of, of, kind of week. And when they get to, to the end of chapter 13, Jesus uh, has, has remember, remember chapter 13, right? Jesus is meeting with them in the upper room. This is the last night before his death tomorrow morning. And he's met with them. He's uh, washed their feet. He's transformed the Passover meal into something new. Uh, Judas has left and Jesus has left them. You remember, he has them there together and he says to them, I've got this new commandment that I want you to, I want you to do. And this commandment is that you love one another even as I have loved you. We talked about that last week. And if you weren't here, I'd really encourage you to listen to last week's uh, message because I really believe it's at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But he leaves them that message. He says, this commandment, I want you to love one another. And, and, And that evidently prompts this question from Peter. So chapter 13, verse 36, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? You remember Jesus had said, I'm getting ready to leave, leave you. And he says, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So Jesus has been speaking of leaving them for the last six months. He's been speaking about it pretty regularly. And what he's referring to is his death, his subsequent resurrection, and his return to heaven. And and this is just hours away now. It may have been six months out, five months out. Now it's hours away. At least his death and, and burial are just hours away. He tells Peter, you cannot follow me now. I think he means in death, but you will later. You know, I'm not sure Peter understands that. He says, why can't I follow you now? I'm willing to die for you right now. Why can't I follow you now? And again, maybe that's not what Peter is understanding. But Peter says, really? I mean, God, Jesus says, really, Peter? You're going to follow me now? And uh, he says, here's the truth, Peter. By, by tomorrow morning, you will have denied me. And at that point, it doesn't say that like Peter doesn't say anything. So at this point, Jesus picks up on his disciples. And here's, here's we're getting to the, to the center theme for this morning. Jesus picks up that his disciples are troubled. Their hearts are distressed because maybe for several reasons. One, Jesus says just maybe an hour earlier or you know, however long it was, he's told them, one of you is going to betray me. So they got that in the back of their mind. So they're distressed over that. The, the fact that he's going to be betrayed and the fact that one of them is going to do it had to be distressing. He just told their most vociferous disciple, his most vociferous disciple, his, his guy who always speaks of first, he just told them, shut up, Peter. You're going to deny me by tomorrow morning. That had to be distressing for all of them, if not just for Peter. And then Jesus constantly has been speaking about going away. And I think they understood that this meant dying. I mean, I'm assuming they understood that Jesus means I'm going to be dying. And so they're apprehensive and they're fearful. And what we find in in chapter 14, the first words of chapter 14 is Jesus is addressing that. And he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. Now, Jesus is speaking to these disciples. And and, uh, and, and I believe as as you listen this morning to what I'm going to say as, as we talk about the text, I want you to recognize that Jesus is speaking into their particular troubled heart. So the things that he's going to say are for them in particular. However, I think, you know, these things that we by extension can apply these to our life. But I do want you to understand this is a real situation. This is, this is a real circumstance. And he's got 11 men 
sin, whose hearts is just being, whose hearts are being ripped up, and he is speaking to them, don't be troubled. And I'm going to tell you why, he says, in just a moment. And again, so again, I want us to look at it that way. Here's, here's, the, here's the honest truth, and I tried to begin with this and, and say that uh, it's easy to have a troubled heart, even for us, isn't it? It's easy for them. It's easy for us to have a troubled heart. If I don't understand what's happening around me, if, if I am fretting that things aren't going to go the way that I think they ought to go, it's really easy to not be at peace in my heart. Do you agree? It's really easy to not to be troubled on the inside because, because I'm afraid, I'm confused, I'm scared, and I'm fretting over that. And Jesus is speaking into their lives and speaking into ours, and he says, don't, don't be troubled. Don't let trouble overrun your heart. Here's why he's going to tell them. So this morning, are you anxious? Is your heart troubled? I bet you it is. I bet you some of your hearts, maybe not all of you, some of you may be riding the crest of the wave and everything's wonderful. You don't have a single trouble at all. But there's some of you this morning that I know your heart is troubled. And here's the deal. Even if you're not troubled today, you will be troubled tomorrow. And if it's not tomorrow, it'll be next week. And if it's not next week, it'll be next month or next year. Okay? I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm trying to be honest. And here's the truth. All of us, you know, Jesus said, you'll have tribulation in life. We all have trouble. And, you know, I look forward to the kingdom to come because I believe anyway that Jesus is promising us a kingdom without trouble. But for now, we have many troubles. And so hopefully this will be a word for some of you specifically this morning. Hopefully it'll be a word for some of us tomorrow. Maybe it'll be a word for us, some of us next, next year. Let's look at what Jesus says to them in light of their troubled hearts. Chapter 14, and we'll read all the way to verse 14, I think it is. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, how, uh, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. Man, so many of us are like Philip, aren't we? Just show me God, and it'll be enough. In their particular case, Jesus said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. 
I think in this text, there are two multifaceted means by which we address the trouble that comes upon our heart. You know, that fear and that confusion that brings a troubled heart, a heart that's not at peace anymore. I think there's two, two means that Jesus gives us to address that. And at the core, these two means are, I think, what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, I think this is at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus if you are such, right? So here we go. Here's the two things that I think Jesus is telling those 11 men and telling us by extension, here's the two things he says, to, why not to let your heart be troubled? Number one, do not let your heart be troubled by trusting in the person of Jesus. We trust in Jesus because of the person he is, i.e. that he and God are one. If there's one point to this these words that Jesus is giving to his disciples, and it's a point that he makes over and over and over again, it is that he is God. And that if you believe in him, you believe in God. If you believe in God, you believe in him. Look at verse one. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So, so stop for a second. Don't think about us. Think about Peter and John. John, you believe in God, believe in me. Peter, you believe in God, believe in me. He's trying to convince his disciples that he and God are, are one. Now, maybe not tr- try to convince them. He's trying to shore up what he's been telling them all along, that to know him is to know God because he and God are one and the same. And, and you see what Jesus is after in these words. He's after their faith. He's after their trust in him in light of the fact that they are troubled and confused and don't understand and maybe are a bit scared. He's saying, listen, guys, trust me on this. Trust me in what's going on. Don't let your heart be troubled. And so the key to not letting their heart be troubled, he's saying is trust me even as you trust God. Because, you know, to know me is to know God. And to know God is to know me. So as the conversation continues, Jesus adds in verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In other words, I want to make it really clear from this point on. If you know me, guys, you've known God. To know God is to know me. To know me is to know God. Indirectly, he's telling them this, because you have seen me, you have actually seen God. That's what he says. Having seen me, you've seen God. Philip gets excited about the prospect of seeing God, and he says, show us God. And then it's like he doesn't even get what Jesus' point is. Jesus says to him, and I read it again, beginning in verse 9, I think it is, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. And if you can't believe me based on what I'm saying to you, he says, believe because of what you see. Because, man, they had seen some incredible things, had they not? There it is again. Believe, believe me, trust me. You know the key to a troubled heart? You know, you know how you deal when your heart is troubled? You put your trust in the person of Jesus because Jesus is God and you trust him in his personhood. You trust him for who he is. Back in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He's talking about sheep and shepherd and all that, but he makes this assertion. Remember this? He says, I and the Father are one. Remember that? And they immediately pick up stones and he says, okay, wait, wait, wait. For what 
work or you're going to kill me. And they say, man, not for any work, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man are claiming to be God. Again, I, I, I don't want to just keep belaboring this, but I do want you to understand it, okay? That the key to dealing with a troubled heart, if you happen to have a troubled heart this morning, it is that you might believe in Jesus, that he is God's revelation, and he's, God's, he's God become like us so that we might, as his creatures, know clearly and, and with clarity and, and compellingly, we might know who God is and what he's like. So when you're troubled, do you believe, can you believe, can you put your faith in the person of Jesus that he is God? Now, now from here on out, and for the next few minutes anyways, I, I want to talk about when Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me, what he's trying to say to his disciples, what that means. Now, and I could go on, there, there is a gazillion things I could say here, and I want to say three things. And, and they're the same three things that I have it in my notes. They're the same three things that I tell you all the time. And so I'm, I, you know, I, I, feel, I feel a little bit uh, squeezed this morning because uh, squeezed by God, squeezed by my own conviction. Am I just being a preacher who just says the same thing to you over and over and over again because this is, you know, I don't know, it's just rooted somehow in my heart? Or, or is God directing me to share with you these same things maybe over, maybe too much? I don't know. You follow what I'm saying? But these three things that I want to point out about when you believe in the person of Jesus, here's what you believe about Jesus as God. Number one, you, when, when Jesus says, believe in me, he's saying, believe me that in the midst of your trouble, your suffering, your confusion, I know what you're going through. He, he looks at them. He knows their trouble. He says, I want you to know, believe in God, believe in me. Here's what he's saying. I want you to know that I know what you're going through. Can I just say that it helps immensely for people to know when you are suffering? It helps you immensely when you are suffering to know that somebody knows that you're suffering. Just, just somebody to know helps. I remember, y'all remember John Regeer? When John Regeer was here, he told, he told us something that stuck with me. He said, he said you know, if, if somebody's being emotionally abused, your spouse is being emotionally abused by their family or somebody else, if you'll just hold their hand, he said, and when you see it, you, you have a signal. You squeeze their hand to let them know you just saw that. You just saw that hurtful comment. You just saw that thing they just said. You saw it. That means the world to, to your spouse to just know somebody knows what you're going through. So here's what I want to tell you. When your heart is troubled, believe in Jesus and believe this about Jesus. He knows your your troubled heart. He knows it. Here's the second thing that I think that, that I would that just flows out of my heart. When, when I know Jesus and I'm troubled in my heart, here's something else that I know about him and trust him for it. And that is that he doesn't just know my suffering, but he actually really cares for me. He really cares about my suffering. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna read this story, but I wanna try to tell it. Hopefully I can tell it well. This uh, young man from, who was in the Vietnam War, and he comes home and uh, he telephones his mom and his parents are real socialites, pretty wealthy, love to go to the parties. And, uh, and he calls home and he says, Mom, I'm, I'm back on U.S. soil. And she's like, wonderful. Are you going to be home for Christmas? Almost Christmas time. You're going to be home for Christmas, you know? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to be home for Christmas. He said, but, but Mom, I got, I got this thing I want to ask you. And she says, what is it? He says, well, I've got this friend. 
And, and he was wounded in the war. He lost both his legs and one of his arms and his face is disfigured. And he doesn't have anywhere to go, mom. And I really want to bring him home, you know. And so she says, sure, sure, bring him home, bring him home. And, and uh, he goes, no, no, mom, you don't understand. I mean, I want to bring him home to stay, to live with us, to be with us. Because he doesn't have, doesn't have anywhere to go. There's silence for a moment, and, and basically mom says, no, nah, that really won't work, son. I mean, that'd be too disruptive. There's, there's government places for him, and you can go visit him, and, you know, so no, that really won't work, but I hope you're coming home soon. We're looking forward to seeing you, and, and, and they hang up, and she goes off to her party. When they come home that night, there's a phone call, and it's from the police, and, and they tell her, they said, I'm sorry for this call, but we found a young soldier in a motel, and uh, he is, he's dead, and uh, he's lost both his legs and one of his arms, and his face is very disfigured, and all, according to all the documentation, uh, it's your son. So here's, here's the point in telling you that story. First of all, I want, I want you to emotionally feel, right? But here's another point. Because it, I think we can relate to that young man. When mom and dad don't care, you know, and again, he didn't say, mom, it's me. But when he doesn't feel cared for, man, hearts break, right? So when you're going through trouble, if you feel like nobody cares for you, it is so much harder to go through that trouble. Jesus says, don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let this, don't let this trouble overwhelm your heart. Believe in God. You believe, believe in me. Here's what I want you to believe about me, that as God, I know, and as God, I care. And then the third thing I want to say to you, and again, is that God is good. One of the things I think that, that, that we see in, in Jesus' talk and in the whole Bible talk, it is that the, the, God wants to communicate to us that he is good. Now, let's be honest. And some of you sitting here this morning may even question that. But let's be honest. There's a huge portion of the world that, um, that I mean, that's a sticking point for them. How can God be good if God is all-powerful and there's so much suffering in the world? How, how can God be good if I've served him and, and, and this is happening to me and, and, and I am, you know, how can God be good and, and let that go on? And uh, that's, that's called the problem of evil in the world. And it's a great stumbling block to, to a lot of people. Even Psalm 73 or 76, the psalmist speaks of it. One of those, that one of those psalms, he speaks of this very thing. But if there's one thing the Bible says over and over and over again, it's God is good. Listen, Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him, Psalm 34. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. Out of the words of Jesus, when, when he's confronted by this fellow who calls him good, he says, no one is good but one, that is God. So, uh, and Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In other words, the, the teaching of Scripture and the thought of Jesus is that God is good. And so uh, here's the deal, though, this morning. I'm just going to assert that and not defend it. I don't have time to, uh, I don't have time to defend that statement that God is good in light, of, in light of what people say. How can God be good if he's all-powerful and there's so much evil in the world? So can I give you some homework? Can I give you some homework? I don't ever give you homework. Can I give you some homework? Here's the homework. Why don't you research that very question this week? How can God be good and there be so much evil in the world, so much suffering in the world? And your answer to that will be your theodicy. Okay, big word there. 
Okay, it's a theological word. Your theodicy is how you answer that question. How is God good with so much suffering in the world? Um, so that's your homework. But I don't want to just leave it there. Here's, here's just, in, in just I want to say this to you. Whatever you come up with your answer to your theodicy, your, your, how is God good and yet there's so much suffering and evil. Whatever you come up with, here's what I want you to, I want to remind you of this. That God is good and God has not exempted himself from our suffering or our trials. I mean, whatever you come up with God, whatever you think about God, here's the one thing I want you to remember. God did not exempt himself from our sufferings. And so he suffered a horrible death. Um, Why did he do that? I I don't know, but I, I want you to understand, even though we suffer, God himself did not exempt it. He could have come here, the pinnacle of everything, right? But he didn't. He came here as a suffering servant and he suffered as we suffer. All right, sorry, sorry to do that, but, but here's, sorry to bring that up and not, not answer that question, but I do want you to understand, when Jesus says, believe in me as you believe in the Father, he's saying, believe me that I know, believe me that I care, and believe me that I'm good. Believe me that I'm good in the midst of that. So is your heart troubled this morning? Believe in the person of Jesus. Trust that Jesus is who God is, and he is all of those things. Now, the second thing that Jesus gives them and gives us, I think, to overcome a troubled heart is he says, you're going to do it by trusting in my person, but you're also going to do it by trusting in my promises. And so Jesus gives them at least four promises in these words. So let me show you what they are real quickly. Number one, first promise is this. One day we'll all live with the Father. Now, again, Jesus is speaking to these 11 men. This is a personal conversation to them. I'm not saying that it doesn't apply to us, but he's saying to them, don't be troubled by what you're you're hearing, that I'm leaving you, okay? Don't be troubled by those things because here's my promise. One day, one day we're all gonna live together. We're gonna dwell together with the Father. Chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your verse, yeah, verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I that I I would would I have told you, excuse me, that I am going there to prepare a place for you. So pause and let that sink in for just a moment. There's really three, three parts, if you would, to this promise. One is that God's house, it's God's house, and it's not a hotel, so we're going to get to dwell with him one day. We're going to actually get to dwell in the presence of God differently than we do now. And secondly, he says that this is a very spacious place, and there's plenty of room for all of us uh, in God's dwelling place. And the third thing is that it's a place designed for each of them, he says, because it's, it's for each of you. That included Peter too, okay? That included Peter who had just minutes before said, Peter, you're gonna deny me before the morning before the morning arrives. It's for you too. And it's for all of us who trust in the Lord. So Peter, and for all of the fragile saints that we are who follow Jesus so imperfectly, don't let your heart be troubled because there's a promise that one day we're going to get to dwell with God in, in, in forever in, in a way that's different. Now, we're gonna dwell with him in his presence you know, in, in his house. 
Jesus said, to as many as, or, or John said, back in John chapter 1, I'm not sure if it was Jesus or John, but to as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So yes, Jesus is leaving, but hey, here's the promise. You're going to be with me forever one day. Yes, you're going to be scattered, but uh, you know, uh, I am still going to work. Uh, don't let your heart be sorrowful. Don't fear. Don't be ashamed. Don't let all those things trouble your heart, because here's the truth, guys. We're going to be together forever. In the, in the kingdom of God. That's not in my notes, but I want to say it. You say, well, Jimmy, how does that help me when I'm troubled? You think that way? I mean, I, I kind of, <laughs> it's my mind. I'm thinking that way. How does that help me when I'm troubled to know that one day I'm going to dwell with the Lord forever? Well, it does help us. It will help us to remember that this is not, the end has not been written. And though it has not been written, the end has been foretold. And the foretelling of the end is that we get to dwell with him forever. So when your heart is troubled, remember that promise. Here's the second promise. Jesus says, I'm going to make it happen. In verse 14, 2, he says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And there's actually two times in those opening verses of chapter 14 that he says, I go to prepare a place for you. What does he mean by that? Is, uh, is he going off to heaven to construct rooms uh, on a house that God has in heaven? The answer is no. Uh, or the reason I say the answer is no, because he created all things in seven days. He created the universe by his spoken word. Jesus is not working on any kind of construction project, you know, for all these years. In fact, I personally don't even think Jesus is talking about heaven at all when he talks about going. I think he's talking about going to the cross. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus is saying, so that you can dwell with God forever. I am going to the cross. You see, sin hasn't been atoned for. The justice of God has not been satisfied. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has not died for us. The curse of God is still on us because the, the man is not hung on the tree to bear our curse, which is death. He hasn't died. He hasn't, he hasn't borne the condemnation by being condemned to death. Death has not yet been defeated because Jesus has not yet died. I think when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, he's talking about going to the cross. And there on the cross, he's going to remove absolutely every obstacle that keeps us from being able to dwell with God forever. I'm, I'm not going to heaven to, to remove the deficiencies there or to fix something. I think he's talking about how I am going to die for you so that you can have a way to dwell with God forever. And, and, and maybe I'm not right, but if you look at verses four and six, this seems to be what Jesus says. He says, you know the way, the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think he's talking about going to prepare his promises that I'm preparing a way for you so that one day you can dwell with God forever, so that you can have eternal life. I'm going to go, this is what he means, I think he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I open the way because I am the way. I confirm the truth because I am the truth. I purchase the life because I am the life. Don't let your heart be troubled because I've made a way for you. Third promise, he says, I'll come back and you will be with me forever. If I go to prepare a place for you, verse three, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. 
And Jesus could have meant several things by this. He could have meant I'm returning in three days in resurrection. He could have meant I'm returning uh, in the person of the Holy Spirit that I'm going to pour out upon you. In fact, let me, just, let me just preface that in the next few weeks, the focus of, our, of Jesus' words will be the person of the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's the same night, same men, same situation. He's going to turn from this opening chapter 14 with don't let your heart be troubled. He's going to turn their attention full bore to the person of the Holy Spirit and to his work in our life, okay? So he could have meant, hey, I'm going to come back in the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's what he means, though. This is what I think he means. I think he means that he's, he's returning to get us at his second coming, that he has in mind the day that he raises us from the dead. So in his letter to uh, the Thessalonican church, Paul would write this, for we say this to you by word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive, we who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So that's Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he says, here's his point. Hey, when Jesus returns, we're all going to be raised to life again, and we will be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with those words. I think that's what Jesus is trying to do to his disciples. Be encouraged. Here's my promise. You will dwell with me forever. I am making a way for you, and I am coming again to make it Make it true that you will never, ever be with, apart from me again. Encourage one another with those words. You know, I, I encourage myself with that all the time. I encourage myself with that all the time. Jesus is coming. Resurrection is coming. The kingdom is coming. We look forward to it. Now, the last promise that I think Jesus makes to them in this, and, and, I, and I really struggle with how do I apply this one to us and make this, and make this something that will help us when we're troubled. But the last promise I think to them is this. Don't be troubled. I promise to continue my work in you and even to a greater degree. Look at verse 12, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will, they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, I think that's a, I think that's a promise. Uh, you know, I shared this with you about a year ago. Uh, I think that's a promise that, that Jesus is, is, I mean, he's specifically speaking to them. They're confused, they're troubled, their leader is leaving. What, where does that leave us? Do we, you know, what, what happens with us? And I think Jesus is promising them, look, I'm leaving, but your work is not over. And you will continue to work, and here's the promise. You're going to do even greater things than I have done. You're going to do greater things. Now, I don't know about you, I, I've many, many years now as a follower of Jesus, I'm like, what does that mean, doing greater things than Jesus? You know, really, honestly, I just don't, can I be honest? I just don't see that. When I think of the greater things being like miracles, you know, that's kind of what we tend to think of what Jesus means, right? Jesus turned water into wine. 
He uh, read the mind of the Samaritan woman. He healed, remember back in chapter four, he healed the official son when he's not even there. He uh, gives the crippled man the ability to walk after 38 years. He fed 5,000. These are all from John, John 5. John 6, he fed 5,000 people from just a few loaves and a few fish. He walked on water, John 6. He healed a man born blind, John 9. And then if we go to the other gospels, he raises the dead. He, does, he tells the storm to be calm, or maybe that's in John as well. I mean, he does so many things that when you look at the life of the disciples, I mean, I don't see them surpassing that miraculous power that Jesus demonstrated. And I definitely don't see it today. Now, that doesn't mean that God's not doing miracles. Please don't misunderstand me, but I don't see the bulk of the church doing greater things than Jesus did in the miraculous. So what did Jesus mean? Now, many have suggested lots of things, but here's what I think it means. I think that Jesus is not talking about the miraculous. I think he's talking about his, his great work of redemption. And though we can't, we can't, Jesus redeems us completely. We add nothing to that. But Jesus is taking the message to the Jews, just to the Jews. You remember, remember when, uh, when the Samaritan, was it, no, it was a Syrian woman comes in and her, her daughter needs help and Jesus says to her, it's not right for me to, t-. she asks for help and he says, it's not right for me to take food from the children's table and give it to the dogs. You remember this? Man, that's, that's, that's tough, isn't it? And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs off the table. And he says, man, woman, I haven't seen a person with faith like yours. I don't know if it was ever or for a long time, whatever. And he says, be it done to you as you've asked. Jesus limited his work and his, his, his message of salvation was limited to the Jews. I think when he says you're going to do greater works than me, I think he's talking about how the fact that you're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In John chapter 6, Jesus says that he, in John chapter 10, he says he's going to the lost sheep of Israel. In John chapter 6, he says, hey, the Jews have been blinded. You've been blinded. The reason why you're not believing is because you are in unbelief. You have been blinded by the Lord. I'm talking in parables so that you won't understand. He says, however, when I am, when I am lifted up, then I am going to send the gospel message to the ends of the earth and all men will be drawn to me. So here's what, here's what I think Jesus means when he says to his disciples, don't be troubled. Know this, your work's going to continue on. You're going to continue on. And not only is it going to continue, you don't need to worry about the fact that I'm leaving you. Don't be troubled by that because God is going to be at work in you and you are going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and you're, you're going to do a greater work than I've done and, and that greater work is going to be an extent that he's going to, they're going to take the gospel to the ends of uh, ends of the earth. Now, that's what I think Jesus means, and still a tough passage. That's what I think he means. But now the question, how does that promise help us? Seriously, how would that help us? He's telling them their heart is troubled. Why is their heart troubled? Because Jesus says, I'm leaving you. You're going to deny me. I'm going to die. He's been telling them that. That helps them, right? Hey, it's not coming to an end. You're going to do greater things. How does it help us when my heart is troubled? Maybe this is a stretch, but just permit me. I think that promise helps us because I think it's still a promise to us that God's going to do greater things through us as we take the gospel to the nations. You know, I mean, I'm so proud to know Scott, who's taken the gospel to the nations. I'm so glad to know all these men and women who have left their homes to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm so proud to know you who are taking the gospel to your coworkers and your, you know, and your friends and neighbors. I'm so glad to know you. When, when your heart is troubled, here's how I think this applies to us. When your heart is troubled, get your mind off your trouble. 
and put it on, put it on your kingdom work. In other words, if you, focus, if you focus on your trouble, then your trouble is just going to remain. Put your faith in the person of Jesus, who, who is God, who cares, who knows, who cares, who is good. Put your confidence in him, and then, and then, then listen to his promises. Hey, one day, this trouble is going to pass. You're going to be with me. I'm going to make it happen. And not only am I going to make it happen, I'm coming to... I'm coming to uh, I'm coming to enforce, I'm coming to bring about what I've created, what I've done, right? And then now, in the meantime, when your heart is troubled, try to take your heart off the trouble part and look at the kingdom work and and immerse yourself in the kingdom work. And I think that's how we can apply that last promise to ourselves. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in me. Keep focused on the work that I have for you. My helper, by the way, is coming. Here's verse 16, just a couple verses further. He says, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you, and he will be in you. And that's all of us. That's all of us. So are you troubled this morning? Are you here this morning and your heart is troubled? Then, then take Jesus' prescription and put your trust in him, the person, and put your trust in his promises. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. And this is, this is, our, point of, this is our point of surrender to truth. This is, our, this is the point of our taking and saying, Lord, you know, how does this affect me today? Uh, I mean, that's the goal of every, everyone who shares truth from God's word. That's always the goal. At least it should be that, that we, whoever it is, wants you to take this and apply it to your life. And so this morning, if you are troubled in your heart, I really want you to apply this. I really want you to attempt to put your trust and faith in Jesus, the person, and to trust his promises. So if you're troubled in your heart, I'm going to be quiet for just, just maybe 30 seconds or so, but I want to give you time to just talk to God if you've got a troubled heart. And just maybe just pray where, where you're sitting right there. Just pray and, and just by prayer seek to apply Jesus' words to your situation. Maybe this morning your heart is not troubled. It will be troubled at some point. It will be. So I would like to ask you for just a few seconds, not even a minute. Just say, Lord, help me when troubles come to put my trust in you. Help me to put my trust in your promises. Would you take a moment just to pray in your your heart about the trouble that will come to you at some point in the future? And I close with this truth this morning. Again, just your heads bowed and your hearts, uh, you know, soft towards the Lord. You know, Jesus, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where, we don't know how to go to where you're going. And Thomas said, I mean, Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, he said, uh, you do know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. And the path to eternal life, the path to uh, what Jesus promised isn't, isn't a path of endeavors. It's a path of personal friendship. It's a path of personal relationship with God. I know maybe a lot of us would like to live forever just being our own God and just, you know, not being... But eternal life is the gift of God to those who love Him. So I wonder this morning, is there anyone here who 
in the quietness of this moment in just a second, if you'd be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I want to trust in you. I want to follow you. I believe you are the way to, I believe you the person. I don't get it. I don't understand it all. But just in my heart, I, I, I believe I want to trust in you. Would you just take this next 15 seconds and just tell the Lord that in your heart? Lord, thanks for hearing our prayers this morning. Thanks for your presence, Jesus. Thank you for being, being our God and our Savior. And we close our gathering this morning just worshiping you and just saying again how much we love you. Thank you for being the person that you are and for the promises you made us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.